Hello and welcome to another edition of Kaleidoscope. This is Mike Zen on recording from downtown Nicosia and with me via Zoom from Dura Hebron, I have an old friend, Huda Aparkopa. I must have pronounced it, but welcome Huda. Thank you Magda, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm really glad we could connect. Um, I'm so invested in this conflict. I know it hurts you, but it hurts me slightly. It's hurt me slightly less. But let's start at the beginning. You and I met when you were the first regional director of the Alliance for Middle East Peace, um, lots of year, many years ago. Um, let's start with the most important question: How are you? Oh wow, Magda! Um, since this war started, it's it could be the 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 most difficult question to answer as a human being, let alone as a Palestinian who lives so close to Gaza, who lost friends and family in Gaza, who is losing neighbors in Dura, Hebron. I, you know, I pain is everywhere, so it's very difficult to even say I am okay. But um, thank God we are still alive. And you said to me earlier, you actually buried two young young kids yesterday. In Dura, yes. The Israeli army raided the town in the middle of the day. They killed a mother of a six-month-old uh, baby. Uh, she herself, her name is Ahed. She, her, she herself is 22 years old. And she was killed standing in front of her porch, uh, uh, veranda when the Israeli car army came in and started shooting randomly and they killed another 22 year uh, old kid who is just working in, in a restaurant at the, at the moment and today we are on strike and uh, we buried both of them I don't know this the, you must be burying people daily every day in the West Bank and we we are not even uh, you know experiencing what the Gazans are experiencing, but it's every day and it's in the back burner of the news because Gaza, um, rightly so, is the news. No, but I was just going to say that the people dying, very, lots of people dying in Gaza and people have put Ga uh, West Bank on the back burner. But what is What are the numbers since the October 7th? Do you know? It's more than... It's almost close to 200 people now. In, West, in the West Bank? In the West Bank. Not to mention the um, almost uh, two, uh, almost 500, uh, 1,500 people were arrested or re-arrested. I think that's one of the biggest ironies, if I can use that word, of this conflict in that Israel agreed to release prisoners in exchange for um, hostages that were taken on October the 7th and they released prisoners in Gaza and they arrested prisoners, they arrested Palestinians in the West Bank. So in fact, they've released no one. But, but this is a good combination for them. It's an, a good equation. They release people and they re-arrest them again. And at the same time, they, are, they continue killing more Palestinians. So even this whole argument about we are fighting this in order to release prisoners is not actually flying anymore, even among Palestinians. There are news about prisoners inside Israel who are um, calling on Hamas to stop 
whatever they are doing, because it's not worth it to kill 25,000 pe people, almost 30, if we count the people who are under the rebel. 30,000 people to release 5,000 people in prisons. No, I agree with you. I went, even uh, when you look at the figures, the numbers are not matching. There, there is no logic in the numbers. Yeah. And, and to me, and I'm stepping out of line, but it doesn't matter, I'm allowed to. To me, the hostages are just an excuse for the IDF. Yes, and they they don't care about them. They no, lost three of them already, uh, and I for for that I also feel for the hostages' families. Again, it was it was a hit to the uh, heart of the Israeli left that is standing against the occupation, um, and and this is something that we need to take into consideration when we talk about this war. Um, this is a war that Netanyahu uh, wanted. Netanyahu is gaining from it. Mm. And uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians, who are the people who are losing people, are the ones who are losing in it. Yes. Uh, if you look at the power dynamics here, Hamas is becoming the most powerful faction of the Palestinian resistance movement and internationally being recognized for that. You can look at the demonstrations all over the world. Hamas is becoming the most prominent resistant movement, completely compromising the Palestinian Authority and the the so-called moderates among the Palestinians, and also uh, equally raising the bar uh, of power for the uh, Israelis who are on the extreme Zionist I would say fascist mentality. There are two people in this government in Israel who are blunt about their plans to transfer and kill the Palestinians. Yes. And they are still in the government. No, I mean, we've been, when I was listening to the, the, the presentations at the International Court of Justice, mm -hmm. just the videos of, the, yes. I think, what was the Minister of Defense? There were two or three people, policymakers. That yes. actually make comments about erasing the Palestinians off the face of the earth and moving in. That is damning in itself, which is very scary because I also listened to an interview with Gideon Levy. Yeah. A well known uh, journalist. And he was quite in despair. He says, I'm still writing. I still believe what I believe. I don't really believe I can change anyone's opinions because the pro peace left has been, uh, has collapsed. Yeah, it already left. Not, you know, it, it, I have to remind the audience and the Israelis of the 1995 killing of Rabin. And this is a very, very historic moment that changed the, the and reshaped the entire two-state solution and the aspirations of the Palestinians of having their own free, uh, viable state. The same people who killed uh, Rabin and the same people who led an incitement a campaign against Rabin led to him being killed in the middle of Tel Aviv in 1995 are the ones who are governing Israel now. Mm. So we're dealing with Israel that is not Israel before 1995. And the international community is not recognizing that. Netanyahu has been the prime minister since then, whether he was in the in the in the, in, in the chair. government or winning the elections. So the Israelis need to rethink their their strategy when it comes to democracy and who they choose 
to represent them. And I'm sorry to tell also my Israeli left uh, friends that the ones who vote in Israel since the past 20 years are the most extreme and they let that happen. Um, and we also, the argument for the Palestinians is that we now have a challenge to prove that peace works and nonviolence works. It, Israel responds immediately to uh, to power that comes with violence. Mm. That's why they give so much power to Hamas because they they negotiate with Hamas. Hamas uh, kidnaps soldiers and sits on the table and negotiates things with them. Nasrallah and Hezbollah are doing the same. So how can you convince a 16-year-old kid in Gaza or a 20-year-old kid in the West Bank that Israel is uh, interested in peace or is a partner in peace? And when people look at the Palestinians, they always blame us for being the ones who did not use the resources in order to tame the Palestinians so they become more uh, less no, more nonviolent. But the reality that we are living since 1995 and the renegotiating of every article of Oslo uh, that led to the collapse of Oslo has led the Palestinians, especially the young Palestinians, to the uh, to the reality or to the truth that Israel only responds to violent power. Can I ask you a question? How much support does Hamas have with the Palestinians? Well, we can talk about October before October 7th and after October 7th. Before October 7th, there was real movements in Gaza to combat Hamas and its ruling. There was a lot of sentiment against Hamas even in, in the world about their tactics. In the West Bank, Hamas, because the situation of the, the West Bank with settler violence, with Israeli incursions, Israeli army, uh, uh, rules of engagement, killing Palestinians on daily basis. Hamas uh, has much more uh, a, a reputation, uh, a good reputation in the West Bank rather than in Gaza. And it's proven by polling. Uh, um, Hamas was losing its popularity in Gaza for reasons everyone know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but October 7 came and Hamas suddenly is the only sole representative of the Palestinian people and People do not even, you know, even in the peace camp, they refuse even to condemn Hamas or to say that doesn't represent us. And to be honest with you, this is not the right time to say that while the Gazans are being uh, killed in thousands. Mm. So the the popularity of Hamas um, is one of those winners of this war. It also feeds into the fact that knowing that they were trying to break down Hamas before October 17th, could be one of the reasons that the Israelis heard that there was a possibility of attack and decided not to do something about it. Because there is that would, now. Yeah, there is evidence. Sorry. Because that meant that if Hamas attacked, it would give the Israelis, firstly, it would save Netanyahu's career temporarily. <laughs> And secondly, it would Netanyahu would bring with him all the right wingers and all the fascists, which meant they would continue the war and possibly get rid of all the Palestinians in Gaza. Yeah. So again, there is evidence to that fact that is coming from Israeli experts and Israeli army people. 
who are uh, saying that they have got um, warnings from Egypt and from their forces uh, that monitor the uh, borders with Gaza uh, 24-7, that there are there is a movement that is suspect and they should respond to that. And three days, Magda, I have to tell you, personally, I was around the Gaza uh, borders a week before October 7th with an international NGO doing humanitarian uh, uh, assessment uh, of the environment, etc. And it was it was uh, uh, as if you are going to um, a military zone. Every one person wearing civil civil civilian uh, clothing no. had two army people had two army people. And this is something that we witnessed. We saw that it was like a military zone. And suddenly, three days before October 7th, the orders come to this uh, uh, group of the Israeli army that is responsible for the protection of the borders to move from the south to the north. Although the Egyptians, four days before October 7th, warned the Israelis, again, through intelligence. So I have to say, when I read that, the uh, and I know that the intention of uh, uh, Netanyahu was that he needed a war to save his career as a politician. It actually played very well to his uh, to his own interest, as uh, his very narrow interest as a, a, a warmonger, as a politician, a corrupted politician, and the people who paid the price is the left, the moderate in both sides, mm. and the thousands that, of human beings, children and women that we've lost. I mean, I look at those numbers and I think to myself, regardless of what happened on October the 7th, how can the pro-Israeli campaign look at those numbers and sleep at night? Because I, I, don't, have, I don't have to look at the nationality of those numbers. I just need to look at those numbers and I think, how can they sleep at night? How can you get ambassadors or the government spokespeople say, you know what, we do our best to avoid civilians. That's an unfortunate collateral damage. What does that mean? Yeah. And I, and I think the most depressing part of this conflict, sorry, I'm going on, is this new concept of minors without surviving relatives. Yeah. And suddenly this generation of Palestinian children that I don't know how young the youngest one is, his whole family's been like wiped out. What do you yes. do with that child? What does that child feel? I mean, I just look at those numbers and think we've really lost our humanity. I don't care if those numbers were Chinese, Israeli, Rwandan, American, Australian. That number should horrify people just for the num the numbers. And yeah. should say, stop, basta. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you tell me. You speak. Now. No, they are not numbers. They are stories. They are families. They are people. They are children with aspirations and dreams. And but I'm what... saying to you, I'm saying to you, when I see the number of people dying, just the number of people dying should make people think, what are we doing? Because as you yeah. say, every single person is loved or loves or has a story or has a dream or wants to do something. But this is another gain for Netanyahu because before October 7th, Netanyahu was almost under um, boycott from all the international community in general. There was mm. a lot of criticism of the government. Everywhere I traveled in Europe doing policy work, 
even in Germany, the, we used to, the, the, the statement, the opening statement from officials there was always Israel's security is a priority. Israel has the right to defend itself. Recently, after uh, Netanyahu and his government came to power, we started hearing the officials in these countries saying we are concerned about the situation of human rights and the Palestinian rights under this government. And suddenly, with that war, they started hailing down to Israel and shaking hands with him and giving him all the, leg the legitimacy of the world and bringing back the, the narrative about Israel's right to defend itself, even when there are thousands of Palestinians who are being killed. The argument itself even, sometimes I feel the Israeli government has lost its mind, to even argue against the numbers mm. when it's not. And it's happening. And there are Israelis inside Israel who are documenting that and speaking against it. And there are people who lost their family on October 7th in Israel who are joining the bereaved family forum and, and rallying in the streets against mm. the killing of the Palestinians, not in, uh, under their names. Yes. And this yes. government is continuing to do that, challenging the international community, challenging its own people so to me, this is a recipe for collapse. I, I think uh, Netanyahu is uh, Samson, the Shamshun. He is going to, uh, to um, uh, he is going to be the end of of uh, Israel as we know it. And unfortunately, uh, there are many Israelis who believe so that this man is going to. He took Israel's humanity to trash, and he's taking Israel down in history. And I think this is what the Israelis need to think about. And the, those who support Israel, like the Americans, who are losing even the elections, yes. it's affecting their political future in the United States, and they still take that risk to support that genocide in Gaza. But, so even, me, the, but even the British are the same. Yeah, The, the, the Tories government's going to lose the elections yeah. Uh, victoriously, not victoriously, big loss because a lot of it's got to do with they just following Biden around. And Again, you do know, every, yeah, and you know, you know, everyone is losing. Everyone is losing. Everyone. There isn't one win. winner. There isn't one winner. I don't know why no one can see that. No one is winning. No one is winning. Yeah. No one is winning. The only but person who's winning yeah. is Netanyahu. Yeah. The only one that is winning is Netanyahu. Um, tell me, and that's the definition of a war criminal. You know that it's it's like un, un, to me it's so sickening that the world is not seeing that that this man is taking down not only the Palestinians in his actions, or because the Palestinians have that part um, that nobody understands in the world that is resiliency, but he's mm. taking down the Israelis also. And this is something that everyone needs to be very concerned about it. What I think no one is taking into consideration is the fact that this war is creating a generation, not only of Palestinians, but of Israelis, with post-traumatic syndrome disorder, which means we have an unhealthy group of people that will not be able to make decisions or logical decisions or reasonable decisions. Aren't they concerned about their own people? Aren't they concerned about their own people? Because even living with sirens, even not living close to Gaza or West Bank and living in northern Israel, now you've got the 
problem, not a problem, the clash with Hezbollah. But why is no one understanding what this conflict is doing on the mental health of the communities within that area? And why do we think this is going to come out positively for anyone? Because no one invested in that part of the uh, peace building uh, uh, and building a state, healing that trauma, the collective trauma that the Israelis have as Jews and the Palestinians have because of the Nakba. It was always pushed under the the carpet. carpet. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, Huda, how do you feel about the court case? at the International Court of Justice? It's an amazing thing to witness because of the significance of the state that filed that that, uh, case, South Africa. For us, the Palestinians, to see that someone who has experienced apartheid, experienced genocide, uh, and at some point they were called terrorists, the leaders of the the movement, including Nelson Mandela, terrorists, but they kept there, this is the healthy part. South Africa has its own problems, but they've learned a lesson from their experience that they will not allow it to happen and to anyone else. Uh, uh, it's the never again model, but it's in practice. And for the Palestinians, they needed in the midst of being forgotten by the whole world, watched being slaughtered on daily basis by the world and having the support going all the way to the Israelis to have one nation like the South African nation coming forward and dragging Israel into that court. It's it's on so many levels, it, uh, very uplifting. We just needed that kind of support that we are not alone in this world. And there is such a legitimate entity coming forward to help us. Again, it's all the odds because people think that the Arabs are standing by the Palestinians, but that's no, not they're not. That's not true. They don't understand. But I think the thing everyone talks about Mandela and they're, they're, they're trying to discredit South Africa as is expected. And everyone doesn't remember that one quote that Mandela made that if the Palestinians are free, aren't free, no one is free. Yes. Okay. So, um, to me, I agree with you, regardless of the outcome, and I will be devastated if the International Court of Justice doesn't at least make some form of criticism of what's happening in the, um, in the Middle East now. But to me, the mere fact that they've come out and they're speaking is a lot more that happened in previous conflicts because in previous conflicts, nothing happened. In previous conflicts, there was a total silencing of the support of the Palestinians. We, I mean, on if you go onto social media, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. every opportunity they get with me, I'm a Hamas supporter. And I say, I think, what, what, where in what I've said have you seen I support Hamas? I support human rights. I yeah. support everyone needs a life to be able to live a life with dignity. Yeah. I yeah. Don't, I'm not supporting Hamas, and I think what happened that day it shouldn't have happened. But I also think, like um, Guterres, it didn't happen out, in, it didn't happen in isolation. Something happened before, and I emphasize that Israelis bear responsibility because they spend millions of dollars on this iron dome to protect them. What happened that day? Yeah. What happened mm-hmm. that day? Yeah. Exactly. And then what did they do? They came in on par- not par- paraglides. Why did, why did no one see them? Yeah. And anyway. that's why we are against an investigation 
of what happened on October 7th. Um, they they disputed, they, uh, you know, they're, again, the, the narratives, I don't play down any casualty, any human life. I lost a friend of mine who used to be a mentor. She used to bring Palestinians from Vivian Silver. I used to go with her to Ares to take Palestinian children who have been uh, given a permit alone to come and get treatment or women to get cancer treatment in Jerusalem with no adult uh, uh, companionship. And I, you know, she's a woman who is to me a beacon of of, of hope, what the, of hope, and what Jewish values are about. Uh, again, uh, you know, she was killed. Nobody knows whether her uh, her killer was the uh, Hamas people or the Israeli army who was giving orders to uh, shell all the homes there because there are um, there are terrorists in their these homes and when this argument is is happening on without thinking of the people who died as people we we just we we ask why we shouldn't all support an investigation of what happened so we can see who uh, is responsible for what the same thing that with the with the uh, with the ICJ with the case it's an example for the Palestinian youth and the Palestinians and the Israelis in general, but the whole world also, to know that there is a possibility to do justice through nonviolent means that are uh, aligned with the international law that Israel trashed. Israel is not responding to any of the calls to seize the fire, although their their kids are in under that fire. So what does that say to, to the, the young generation? Again, I am the impact of this war. We will live with it until the day we die. I am 53 years old, and I know I'm not gonna be able to see the the healing part of it until I die. Mm. But we have a generation that needs a model like the uh, South African model, standing for justice, dragging Israel into the court in order to know that there are other solutions than uh, violence. Because at this point, everyone thinks that violence is the only solution. I, I totally agree with you. And as uh, I have the to me, regardless of what happens with that case, that case took place. Yes. Okay. That yes. case took place despite the discrediting the Israelis started with the corrupt South Africans. And I want to tell them back. So the ANC got money. How many people have been blackmailed financially in America and the UK financially. So why is it? Anyway, I don't care the motivation. I don't care the motivation of why they're doing it. Someone is doing it and they've got a team that is awesome, especially the one young woman. She's of Yemeni origin. Yes. Adela Hasid, absolutely awesome because she was so clear but soft, but gentle. She wasn't being aggressive. And I was told they chose not to show pictures of what was happening in Gaza. They just showed that doc, um, that billboard from in the hospital that said, we will do what we can till the end. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. So to yeah, me, yeah. the fact that someone stood up, regardless of the reason, regardless of why they did it, they did it in the face of the Jewish lobby and America regardless standing against also- them. 
regardless the pressure that was put on the world, you know, again, this is another example of how human beings can triumph against institutes, uh, systems that are standing with Israel. The PR campaigns, you know, that's why the argument, if you if you speak about people in Gaza, you are automatically translated to being a supporter of Hamas. Exactly. Campaign. And now you see that defense that she, the, uh, this woman put forward, and it speaks facts, illegal yes. language, it doesn't speak propaganda. It doesn't use uh, pictures. A provocative. It doesn't use provocative words. Very just mm. facts and facts coming from Israeli Israeli soldiers themselves. Yes. You know. So, so this is the evidence also that is uh, the Israelis because of their uh, the Israeli government because of its own ego did not even tell the the soldiers not to do that. The videos that are coming out are a mere. Uh, evidence that what's happening is genocide. The fact that th there are ministers spoke about killing and transferring and deporting all the Palestinians on TV, yes. uh, on record, and still the Israelis deny that. Tell me, when is the judgment expected? I uh, I think uh, I heard someone today speaking uh, that it's going to take weeks for deliberations. And someone else said that it might take months. But again, watching that process happening to me is a lesson, is a historic lesson to learn from, which is also a different model of all other conflict uh, areas in the world, that things are taking place in, on that scale, on that level, and the popular support for it. Yes. All over the world, against the government. Again, we're talking about everyone losing, except for the voice of justice and freedom all over the world. Well, I'd have to agree with you. I think it's the first time I've seen such a widespread voice pro for the Palestinians or to support the dignity of the Palestinians. And also, it's the first time I've seen the viciousness of the Israeli lobby. It's yeah. terrible. It's terrible what they do and, and how they pay people. Yeah. How they pay people to say money. Um, follow the money. Follow mm -hmm. the money. Um mm -hmm. tell me Huda, what are you able to work now? With everything that's so unstable, how much work so, can people get done? So one of the things that happened after October seventh is that we, the people who are Palestinians employed by international NGOs, were put under a lot of pressure not to to, to speak out. And unfortunately, I lost my job because of that. And um, yes, I am part of the peace building community. Yes, I used to be the first on ground regional director of the Alliance for Middle East Peace. But uh, international NGOs at that moment were all taken by the, the you know, the strings of money, the yes. policies. Uh, um, and they forgot in the middle of that that we are Palestinians. So there are so many cases of Palestinians who worked for international NGOs who got laid off because they are Palestinians. Uh, and um, again, this is a, another battle that is going to the court. But it says something about the investment of the Palestinians in general in peace building. And I feel the disappointment every now, every time I remember that we believed in peace. 
We believed uh, it's going to be the strategy for liberation, not only for the Palestinians, but also for the Israelis. We worked with the Israelis, with the international community. We mm. played it very well while we were the ones who made the biggest compromise. We're giving up more than half of our uh, land, historic land, to accept a state that can live side by side with us in peace. We accepted everything on, on these agreements and nothing was done in order to, cre to, to create a viable state of Palestine. More settlements, more renegotiation. Netanyahu, let's remember that Netanyahu was the one who actually uh, 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 made a huge failure of the Hebron Agreement mm. uh, in 19... Uh, in, uh, in, I think it was in uh, uh, in 2005, I think, 2005. Then collapsed. Uh, the, the whole uh, negotiation thing with the Palestinians collapsed and the Palestinians stopped negotiating with the Israelis because Netanyahu refused to do the Hebron Agreement. And then the unilateral... The unilateral uh, withdrawal of Gaza without giving the Palestinian authority, without negotiating that with the, uh, with the Palestinians, without having a power in place that can take over in 2005, which led to the um, to the coup that Hamas did in 2006 and the elections that took place that year, which gave Hamas uh, more seats in the parliament in the Palestinian parliament than uh, Fatah. And immediately the international community boycotted the Palestinians. This is something that people forget. It's, it's history. It's recent history. But the inter international community in general collectively punished the Palestinians for democratically electing Hamas. And at that time in 2006, that was a time to compromise Hamas as a faction that believes in violence. It could have been drawn into political agreements. They changed their charter in 2005 to, in, to talk about two-state solution, and it's on the web. But still, Israel insisted that Hamas is a terrorist group and the Palestinians should be collectively punished for electing Hamas, and the international community accepted it. And Gaza became a different entity, completely uh, disconnected from the West Bank, compromised the Palestinian Authority entirely as a power that can negotiate, because Netanyahu did not respond to any of the agreement and let and it and it happened and this is what we are witnessing now that compromise when Netanyahu won the elections recently and had two criminals uh, convicted convicted criminals according to the Israeli court system part of his organ uh, his government the world did not boycott boycott the government did not, not receive the funding did not even uh, ask them why did you do that they said it's a democratic uh, process but 2006 was not a democratic process when the entire world was watching what was happening and it was democratic because i worked in it so for uh -huh. the palestinians the palestinians who stopped electing their uh, officials who speak on their behalf since 2006 to be paying the price of an international community decision to boycott us now is a huge impact on us. And tell me, Huda, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to play devil advocate. If you look back on the history of what has happened, when, give me an example of one or two really bad missed opportunities 
by the Palestinians. Boy, there are so many of them. Uh, every every step the Palestinians um, kind of take. Um, um, let's talk about Camp David, for instance. And again, I was one of the people who said that Abu Ammar could have done it then and it could have ended. But I read the books that uh, uh, Martin Endek and Dennis Ross wrote about the process. Abu Ammar could not take a decision about Jerusalem when Jerusalem is not uh, entirely uh, under his uh, jurisdiction. Mm. He is not the person to decide about Jerusalem. And he was let go by the, the Jordanians and the Egyptians on that time. Also, there were missed opportunities uh, that, um, you know, the Palestinians uh, did when they took themselves out of the Arab, what we call the Arab uh, uh, community, when they asked to be the sole representatives of the Palestinians. So when they asked for the disengagement from the Jordanian uh, umbrella. There were opportunities when the when the Palestinian leadership did not know how to deal with the Israelis, and they 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 wanted to do that directly with them, without even uh, uh, taking into consideration the experts, the Palestinian experts' opinions who were working with them. And I know many of them who said that we advised against many of the things that Abu Ammar uh, signed off on because we knew that they are going to be a tension point in which the, gov the Israeli government is going to, to ruin. I think it's important here to also um, acknowledge the fact that as someone I am from uh, the first Intifada generation, in which I believe that our struggle during the first Intifada brought our uh, leaders from the diaspora to, to, to here, and we found the Palestinian flag risen without paying a price of years of prison, in it, uh, that we were disappointed by our uh, leadership and that we didn't do anything in order to change it. Mm. Um, but again, uh, we are not the only actors on the ground here. I, I have to say that I do agree with you that leadership, Palestinian leadership has played a good, as important role. But on the other hand, how can you change a leadership when the population that votes is so fragmented? Well, there is now, you know, for years there was, um, if you look at the polling, there was um, a majority of Palestinians who are not happy with the Palestinian leadership on both sides, Hamas and Fatah. They are not happy with the division between the two of them. But we couldn't change anything. We, again, there are no elections. There is an occupation living. That's why we as peace builders always said that if the occupation end, it's a liberation for both the Israelis and the Palestinians to to have an agency to change their leadership. Mm. But the occupation is the only reason why our leadership is still holding to power, even when they have no country to rule. No, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the way the leadership is now and the way the situation is developed, civil society doesn't have the agency to change the leadership. One of the victims of Oslo Agreement is the Palestinian civil society that led the Palestinian people for years during the occupation, uh, during the Nakba, and the Nakba, 1967, 1948. One of the things that our leadership, when they came from the diaspora, made sure to do is to have 
full power over these uh, civil society organizations. And one of the one of the ways I think that we can get back to a place of power is to strengthen these civil society organizations. How can we strengthen them? Because that would that was going to be my next question. Because we're looking at a very black period now, but we've also got to look at now and tomorrow. What can be done now to strengthen? especially the Palestinian civil society that is under a lot of pressure and has been fragmented beyond recognition. Uh, it's an opportunity, unfortunately, now with the, with the killing and with the fact that the international community does not know to speak, who to speak to in Palestine, is to bring the civil society back to the uh, forefront of the leadership of the Palestinian leadership. And I'm seeing this happening. You know, and again, one of the... Um, gains of this war, if we can use that word, is that we are seeing many young Palestinians coming to the forefront of speaking about the Palestinian cause, speaking about what's happening, lawyers, uh, academia people, uh, civil society uh, leaders, they are taking the lead. The only danger that I'm seeing is that we are being, and I'm one of those leaders, we are being threatened by more than one power including the international community that fires us because we're we're Palestinians and instead of giving us more power, taking mm. the power and protection from us. And the fact that the Israelis are also seeing us as a, tar a target because the, the, the international community sees us as a potential to talk to. So every policy work that I'm involved in is uh, is is not public and I cannot talk about it. I uh, And I say yes to every invitation because we need to bring our voice uh, uh, forward. And we cannot just wait and see the world taking, taking the lead on our future. So I think one of the things that can empower civil society now that the international community gives them the power, invites them, gives them the protection. Again, I believe in the UN Resolution 1325 where women in conflict zone need to be protected, need to have agency in order to become more uh, active in their political arenas. And this is happening in Palestine. We women in Palestine led the struggle since 1913. Mm. We were the first in the entire Arab world to have our own women agencies. And it was all crushed. Don't forget that a woman uh, actually stood against Abu Ammar in the first elections, Yasser Arafat. Samiha Khalid, yes, may God uh, rest her soul uh, in peace. We And I elected her. We, we had an opportunity to elect a woman to stand against Abu Ammar with his own uh, uh, propaganda machines, with his history being the uh, the sole leader of the Palestinian people. So we need to invest in that. And I think this is the role that the international community can play if they want to change things and they want to shift from taking sides and polarizing their own human beings. And what, you, and what do you think this was also the recently formed um, Arab Women Mediators League? How powerful can they be? What role can they play? Well, it, uh, they had a successful history in Tunisia, and uh, and I am also part of now um, a regional women's group that we are trying to to help in any way we can, but also plug ourselves into policy work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's the time for us to do that. We cannot just continue watching men talking to each other 
uh, with guns and burying, and at night we bury our kids. <laughs> we have to have uh, a say in that, but it needs a lot of courage. Uh, and at this point, I feel that the Palestinian women have nothing to lose. So that's why I think they would be more open to engaging in policy and advocacy work. I was actually recently in December, I was invited to a meeting in Ethiopia, the Global Alliance of Women Peacebuilders. And there was a strong representation of the Palestinian woman with Amal Jabur. And, yeah. And we... Uh, uh, but but it's with you, Magda, again, this is one of the issues with the Palestinian Authority. Amal and the Women's Union are Fatih uh, people, and they only represent Fatih, and all the invitations go to them. So the international community need also to know that there are people who can present Palestine. Nothing against Amal Jadu. Amal Jadu is speaking on behalf of the Palestinian Authority, not on behalf of the Palestinian women or the Palestinian people. No, and no, they don't understand. Can, yeah. So this is something that we need to change here uh, on the ground, and we are. We are doing that. No, I totally agree with you that um, because we face something similar in Cyprus, that you've got a few women in the government. And I remember when we there were talks in Kranz, Montana in 2018, and things were looking well, and I didn't. I saw one woman, and I sent a message online. And I said, where are the women? And this one woman that was there sent a message, it's just me, but I represent you all. And I thought, how dare you? Who yeah. are you to represent? Everyone of us, firstly, you're the elite as in decision-making and civil society. So we're definitely not the same ways. Yeah, in Palestine, one of the things that we lost because of Oslo is that um, the, the rise uh, is that, that now we have an elitist group in Ramallah that thinks that owns the Palestinian people and owns their uh, destiny and speaks on behalf and acts on behalf of the Palestinian people. And they have access to the world through their connections and relations. And they don't get, they don't look at us in the backyard. They, so this is one of the criticisms of Oslo and the Palestinian leadership in general. Uh, but I agree with you. I think we need to start not speaking to the leadership. We need to start spreading the word and getting out to, because the more women you speak to, the more NGOs you speak to, the broader the base of who you're speaking to is, which means you've got a stronger voice, a more inclusive yeah. conversation. Okay, I think we need to do that. Tell me, um, what do you, how do you think, when do you think this is going to end? Do you think this is going to end, this conflict? What is your, I mean, I, I want to say that it's going to end now. But what is your feeling? Magda, I pray every night, uh, every day, uh, for the safety of the people. But um, And I am someone who's very optimistic and normally believe in us and our power uh, as people uh, who love life and want to live in peace. Uh, but I think the powers against us now are um, immense. And I'm... I'm afraid that uh, Netanyahu wants a war for another year. And to be honest with you, the only hope lies within the Israelis inside Israel uh, who um, can regroup, reactivate themselves and not fall victims to the to his narrative about yeah. us and stand against him and take him down. This is the only option. The international community will not do that. 
the Americans will continue to support him because, again, we spoke about the, about the money, yes. uh, the, the strings. And I think the Palestinians have lost faith in the entire world. So they won't now move a finger in order to empower anyone inside Israel to do so. So my only hope is that the Israelis will rise from that trauma of October 7th that they have been very invested thoroughly in keeping them um, sheltered and have no opinion. Um, this is the only, we need an intifada inside Israel that takes down Netanyahu democratically, not violently. Mm-hmm. Or unfortunately, what will happen is that this war is going to continue for another year and more Israelis, more, more Israelis will be in support of it. Uh, more Israelis will leave Israel because of the war and more Palestinians will lose their lives because there was there is no option. There is no option that the Palestinians will leave Palestine. It's not going to happen. But I agree with you, unless the Israelis themselves wake up and not even considering the Palestinians, if they don't wake up and realize that Netanyahu needs to go, because I think about a week ago, he tried to push through legislation. Yeah. But, was for, but fortunately, he was stopped. So I think the... A free, not just the free-thinking Israelis need to think beyond the Palestinians and think this is not good for me, this is not good for my people. So we need to regroup within Israel to create something better or more productive. I agree with you, but I'm also agreeing with your despair of this taking, drawing, being drawn out longer, and being drawn out longer means more people die and more and there's definitely no one that's going to win. Yeah, and more Netanyahu staying in power because mm. the, the day the war will end, he will be taken to court. Mm. Anyway, Huda, I'm really glad we got to connect. I'll really bear you in mind when I, because I'm in a lot of regional networks and you know me, I've always been invested in the Palestinian I appreciate uh, narrative. So, well, bear you, bear you in mind. I will, I pray with you every night. Please let this stop. Let this violence stop. Let these people come to the senses. And and I agree with you that South Africans, regardless of what happens or why they did it, they actually stood up, which to me is a beacon. It is a beacon of hope that somewhere, somehow, it's humanity. And it's a vision for us, the Palestinians. One day we will be standing for those who need to be, to have justice by their side. And we will... Uh, continue our mission to bring peace and justice to the entire world. This is why South Africa now is becoming the model to follow. Thank you, Huda. Um, As I said, we'll keep in touch. Let me know how you're doing. And to the listeners listening, thank you for listening to you. Please keep safe. Okay, as much as you can. And look after yourself because I think we all need to look after ourselves. Conflict, unbeknowingly, for you in the conflict, it's worse. But for us, these um, pictures you see or the videos you see all day online, it's like we, we're reliving the conflict daily. So let's all keep ourselves safe and healthy. And let's Inshallah. send out positive but I, energy. I wanted to thank you, Magda. From a woman to a woman, extending a hand to bring a voice to your audiences from Palestine 
is a huge way of supporting the uh, the Palestinians and the Israelis, I would say, also. So I really thank you for that. Um, and I'm at any point you need me, I'm here for you and I will continue praying for all of us. I appreciate it, Magda. Thank you, Habibti. Thank you, Habibti, too. Lovely to connect and stay safe. And we'll speak soon. Good night. Good night. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.